All right, so... Hello, Fiona. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's like I've merged into your podcast and my podcast. Yeah, we've all. It's, it's been a. Um, I should just behave like it's your podcast. It's been a crazy um, evening, but we're just uh, when you get. I lemons, know. You make it's, lemonade, I feel you? like um, Twenty One Candles with the redhead chick. You know the hot redhead chick in from the eighties. What was her name? Joy. And she had a, it's just, it was a cult movie at the time. Twenty One Candles. Anyone? Molly, Molly, someone, Molly, Molly Ringwald. Molly Ringwald. I'm Molly okay. Ringwald. Yeah, well, the movie time. was all about no one coming to a twenty first. Oh, so yeah. I've thrown a twenty first. Admittedly, I didn't ask anyone, mm. but it's getting very late in the day. Yeah, well, everyone will be here eventually. Well, I was hoping somebody would just go. She's a legend. Let's organise it for. I gave so many hints, oh. and here I am. There you go, Joy. Looking. Looking, oh, yeah. nice, great. It's going to be a great story no matter what happens. Yeah, so I've, I read your book, your memoir. So my first question is um, why did you decide that that was the best time to start writing a memoir in that stage of your life? Because my sister said when I was homeless, living at mum and dad's, uh, can you? Oh, I can't find the photo. I took a photo of it. So many times in my life it's been the most horrific low, but at the same time something so funny breaks through. And I was living in my childhood bedroom and the wallpaper was peeling so badly and it was so grim. (laughs) And I sent a photo of it to Lawrence Mooney and he sent this text back, "Is, is your dad... And he, that name of that weirdo that had all the dead bodies in his in Germany. What's his name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, something like that. No, is your is your dad Wolfgang? Oh, uh, jo- Joseph Fritzl. Joseph Fritzl. There you go. So I call it. Then I from then on called it the Fritzl Suite. <laughs> and there I re- yeah spent the rest of my sentence. But that was horrific that time of my life. But yeah. I laughed till I cried about the Fritzl Suite. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote your memoir? Oh, that's right. Sorry. <laughs> so that's the lowest I've ever been. Yeah. And then I was like in some kind of weird sub world because yeah. my sister Emily, who's a performer, and actually she should be here this 21st because it was the show with her that we won the Barry Award for, for Best Newcomer. And it was a show called Fiona Assistant Some Guy. And she played, of all, we, it was a sketch show. And she's the funniest human being I've ever met, Emily. She's the girl that does all the sketches on Sean McAuliffe's show. Oh, yeah. Mad yeah, as hell. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she stood in front of the bed and I was just looking at everyone like, oh, God, I want to be you. You know, I don't have anything. I can't leave here. I'm in the Fritzl suite and <laughs> I think my way out of here. And... Uh, Emily said, you're going to write your way out of this. And so I started the book then. And so when I'm reading the book, obviously I know you're a comedian, but you writing it, and one of the reasons why I started this podcast is to try and capture like real Australians rather than the kind of home and away version Ooh, yeah. always get. Mm, so you... So Carrie ann won't be on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh! Well, you. Well, I went um, to the logos. I have a never go again. 
Why? Well, Carrie Ann's there. What's the point of Carrie Ann? Is that because she... Um, Empty, vacuous creeps. Her and Koshy. And, and she got the oh, role. And Richard Wilkins. You talk about the Kardashians for a living. Fuck off. Yeah. You idiot. You middle-aged fucktard. Have you, have you met Carrie Ann before? Carrie Ann, yeah. I've been interviewed by... She doesn't listen. She, uh, to be an interviewer, you have to listen. She doesn't listen to that? anything. <laughs> Well played, sir. <laughs> okay, so yeah, Carrie Ann. No, I heard um, she's on next week, so I'll see how that goes. Oh. <laughs> I heard uh, I watched her interviewing um, uh, what's his name, the uh, comedian from the UK that looks Ricky not boy Gervais. George, but uh, trans. Uh, no, but close, uh, way more camp than that. He comes out here. Talk yeah, Alan Carr. Kind of, no, but no, <laughs> it was eighties. He talks like this. He says, "We're we just filling in time, Carrie Ann, <laughs> because he's the funniest thing on earth." And she just asked him about his. Uh, just, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you do you walk your own dogs? He said yes. <laughs> Julian Cleary, and he said yes. She said, "Do you have a poop scooper to pick up the?" He said, "What are we doing, Carrie Ann? We're just filling in time." Like, this idiot say something. She's awful. <laughs> anyway, she's interviewed me. Yeah, well, she's, um, hopefully she's not listening. Oh, I hope she is. <laughs> so the process, yeah, so you, as I was saying, you're you keep talking about Carrie Ann? a really good writer. So where did you learn how to write the way to be able to write this book? Uh, I was always a good writer. Uh, too flowery for a long time yep. at school. I wrote a fabulous um, essay in year 10 about, getting caught in an avalanche and it was so good that I had to go to the principal's office and answer all these questions because they wondered how would a girl know anything about an avalanche. <laughs> anyway, I got it from the Reader's Digest and then I thought I could do better than that. Yeah. But I did lift that first month. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why they were talking to me in the principal's office. They yeah. knew I'd, they must have read the book. Yeah, She's beautiful. No, I just think this country is just... It's not Rove's fault. Who wouldn't do it? Mm. But he didn't headline. Yeah. And this country has no respect for stand-up and the hierarchy of it. And, I mean, I am i couldn't do te- late-night television. I couldn't do any live television. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. trust me. I mean, I can barely be trusted on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just too much of a performance aspect rather than talent. Oh, yeah. I mean, they it, it's like, oh, you're pretty... Rove was good looking, but he only ever middled. So yeah. you, so you're already n- never going to have a Stephen Colbert, are you? Yeah. And the shame of that is that it's not fair on the country because there's great honour in humour and and being a humorist. And our job is to laugh at ourselves collectively, show us what we're laughing at and what's funny about us and mm. what the point is. So what's the solution? Um, we need better clubs and we need um, the institution of what stand-up is to be protected. With all like um, like Joe Rogan and all those podcasts being more popular now as stand-up um, being more popular in the last few years, have you noticed any difference? Uh, everything's getting better yeah. everywhere but Melbourne. Yeah. Well, it Melbourne. doesn't happen anywhere else. Um, it's still the same tradition in New York, um, London, UK, 
that the the, uh, the holy ground of a club is still where they go to find the next. That's what feeds their market. But here there's an uh, over-representation. Well, there's one agent, not enough agents, and there's one big one Mm. that I'd say to guess would own 80% of the market with big enough names in it that have production companies of their own. So a lot of power in Channel 10 and ABC. So... The fact that you're not managed by the right person. Like, again, I'm not saying I could ever do it, but there's geniuses. That's where you find the geniuses and you've got to find the hungry ones will come to a club. Mm. You want hungry open micers because they're the front line and you want them not to do some fucking stupid competition. Yeah. But isn't that also on the public? To the public, yeah, we have got. To, but then the public will come, build it, and they'll come. Yeah, you know, Melbourne is an amazing city. You should be able. To, we should match our comedy with uh, food, and and it's supposed to be the comedy capital. Uh, and also, what about the international comedians that come out and want to just go to a club? Yeah, there should be an obvious club. That's and I think Kieran and um, and Carl Chandler does a great job. Like. The people that are, you know, at the gates of stand-up are doing the best they can. But what's happening is um, people without the – they haven't finished their degree. They've got no flying hours. They haven't finished this yet. And then they get anointed as comedians and then that's called a comedian. And then the general public think that's a comedian and it's not. Yeah. So what about you as far as balancing – being a true comedian and then also needing to pay the bills. So, well, I don't have a choice. Like, I'm very lucky because I'm female. Um, You're the first person to ever say that. <laughs> well, it's maths. <laughs> like, if you're female and good, yeah. obviously you're going to get a much. I mean, uh, to be an urban white male, I think it'd be yeah. the worst thing you could be instead. <laughs> yeah. But that's just me too because open mic has set up open mic rooms yeah, run yeah, by yeah. open micers and they're all open micers. So if someone fingers an open micer in an open mic place and they go, oh, there's sexual whatever, um, toxic. Yeah, yeah. In the industry. It's like, fuck off, you're not even in the industry. Yeah. Go talk to Michael's parents about fingering you, who will have ever did. You know, I might said Michael. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, stand-ups tend to be. I mean, I know them, the, the, and I graft them to my heart. There's, no, I don't know any stand-ups that would stand by and allow any other male stand-up to behave like that. Mm. It, there's a code of conduct, and it goes along with who the ca- what the character is of a stand-up. You know, they tend to be ADHD, <laughs> bruised fruit of some sort, but and uneducated often. Yeah. Um, but that's there's, there's a point to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, on the theme of brutal honesty, when you're writing this book, and you 
you can it's all good speaking your own story, but when it starts going into other people's and talking about that, was it difficult to be brutally honest? Oh, um yeah. It it was yeah, I didn't know what to do. So that's why I got a uh ghostwriter as well. Yeah. And I went to Tahiti and she did it. <laughs> no. <laughs> she just um, was amazing because she was there for me for that. Yeah. So I had another um, – I was able to – it's the opposite to what normally it goes. She was just great. She was another – she was a younger me. Yeah. She was so young and – such a clever girl, but she put all the puzzle together and then I told the stories yeah. and wrote the stories. And, yeah, she put it all together. Because the first book took eight years. Yeah. And I, I was three quarters of the way through and Henry kicked a football through the front French door while I was writing. My coffee spilled into the um, computer and I lost it all. Yeah. Yeah. And he went, oh, sorry. <laughs> so what, what's the response been like from publishing this book and um, people reading it? Are you being surprised or what did, you, did you expect anything? Relieved, really relieved that it was respected and yeah. it doesn't matter how many. I was hoping, part of me was hoping it would, for a book to make money that I could do with some guys. <laughs> <laughs> Like Ando's book caught fire, but a book's got to catch fire yep. in Australia to make money. Um, and it hasn't done yet. But I always thought, it doesn't really, it just has to be the right person that picks it up. Yeah. So it could happen anytime. Um, and then, but apart from that, it was uh, that it was reviewed well because that mattered to me. Yeah. I didn't want to put out, because I. My family, are, um, I'm, they say I'm brutally honest. Like they go through my – they pick through like a pack of screaming hyenas, you know, yeah. for fault. Yeah. Like one of my sisters said in the first book, no, I was really proud of the first book. That's an – it is a body of work, you know. And um, it was the worst cover I've ever seen, <laughs> ever. Like – I cannot believe how that fucking idiot of a publisher and my manager at the time just destroyed my book. You don't have any say over the... No, I took Doofus 1 to meet Doofus 2 uh, to say, let's, yeah, I won't have that cover, I won't. Mm. And he, he went in to bat for me and we came out with that cover. Yeah. Yeah, but he was gross. <laughs> All right, so in the, in a book there's a good line saying um, you're a female comedian from Alice Springs and you – oh, you're female from Alice Springs and you want to be a comedian and the odds were one in a billion. And yeah, that's said, what Dom Irira said. You're not very good – never been good at maths. So to leave Alice Springs and pursue that career – like, how did that come about? Because it's not something that's common. No, I was performing in Alice for free. Like, yeah. I was part of an inordinately large art scene. 
um, we opened when I moved to Alice Springs. The first time it was before I was married. There was an audition, so it was a. Uh, the show was um, amateur, so it's an amateur theatre company, but it was Godspell, and it was. Um, yeah, I got the part. And so it was to open the new art centre that we had up there. So it was a big deal, even though it was um, amateur. And then we all hung out together. Like we were the arts, the arties in town, and we used to put on cabarets. So if it was Mother's Day or something, it, someone would do poetry about mothers or someone's written a song. Or, and sometimes I'd do a sketch, but mostly I was the MC. And then the arts minister of the Northern Territory was in the audience one night and he said, you need to apply for some office to join stand-up and go to Melbourne. Maybe we could have a homegrown stand-up from the yeah, Northern Territory. So I didn't know what to apply for. Um, so I was completely codependent of every human and I asked for $600. <laughs> and I caught a McCafferty's bus from Melbourne, three days. Yeah. I went up to a backpackers and hired a nanny, spent, uh, what was she, German or something. <laughs> and Chris, my husband, was really supportive. Yeah. Um, and everyone else thought I'd gone mad, I think. So I walked into a pub. Uh, I had a letter with me of introduction. <laughs> I had to get people to sign it to prove that I didn't um, waste the $600. I slept on a friend of a friend's floor. It was a... Dentist, a young dentist that Chris knew. It was his brother's floor or something. And uh, then I went to the Star and Garter, and Bob Franklin was the MC, and Brad Oakes was uh, the headliner. And he said, Oh, we heard there's a Territorian coming. And he said, I was expecting a 10 foot truckie. It's a girl. <laughs> and he said, Do you want to do 10? I said, Yes. And I didn't even have three. Yeah. And I saw that first set, and it was just, it, was, it didn't even make sense. Yeah. It made no sense. Talked about a tram and oh trams, <laughs> oh my god! But I didn't die. They really wanted it to work. Yeah, yeah. Like they yeah. laughed enough that I was bitten. It's like going to the casino and you win. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. easily, and then just want to go back again. Yeah. So I, I decided then and there. I was like, oh my god, yes, I'm going to headline in a club one day. Yeah. That was as far as I thought that, that it took you. Yeah. And that's the other problem because now – well, maybe it's not a problem actually because Joel Creasy was never, ever um, shy about saying, he, <laughs> <laughs> he got into stand-up to be famous. Yeah. I said, really? You want to be famous? I go, oh, God, yes. He said, I want everybody to know me. Yeah. And – but he's never not said that. But what happens now is people go into stand-up to be famous, which is awful. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, I, I, I think personally that fame is the I reckon I was delighted by fame early on in the yeah. piece. But that's uh, – I'm so glad that I – I'm so glad I was an alcoholic because I would have been if – alco- if I wasn't alcoholic – um, my ego and mm. vanity would have been such that I would have been at every lunch, at every... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have loved everybody, but I would not be listening to people. 
Because we're too busy. Yeah, yeah. Wanting to show them how funny I am. Yeah. And that's gone, thank God. Was that like that before you tried stand-up? Is that... Uh, did you want... No, I, I was laugh? the natural release of tension in my home yeah. as a child. And it was so funny. Funny, like... Um, so mean, strict, but thank God, because when we found out what we were laughing at, it didn't stop. It was breathtaking. Yeah. Uh, particularly Emily and Kate. And, and we would just laugh till we ate. <laughs> it was good fun. So you think you, you... And then when I started drinking as an adult, um, really young, I felt... That it, my, this is how I got uh, energy always was to get people laughing or crying. Yeah. Just get a narrative, find out, get energy. That's the only thing because I couldn't learn. Um, so apart from reading a book, they were the times where oh, this would have lit, lit up all the yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever it is that made me an addict. Um, yeah, they, they're they all like this. And then alcohol with that. And I, for the first time, I then I would just stop worrying about what the fuck is wrong with me. Yeah, yeah. Which is basically all I thought. And that's... I was like, oh, my God, I, I'm funny. People like me. I can keep a party. Ha- it's great. I need that. I can't do without that. Like, so when that was taken away from me, I didn't know what... I had no fucking clue because that yeah. helped me too, you know. It was awful. Yeah. Like hideous. So how do you – what's the best way, probably in a comedic definition, of what it feels like to be addicted to anything but being alcoholic? You're in prison every day. You're not free ever. Yeah. And you wake up and your heart thuds. Yeah. In it because you're you and you woke up. And with with that addiction, that's like a genetic thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it I mean very strong in my family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I was a sitting duck. Yeah. yeah. And also because as soon as I found purpose, which was when I put myself in my own rehab, design my own rehab along with a friend, um, it, it's kind of like, I'm like, oh, oh, I get it. I'm going to share this uh, with others and my stand-up's going to help me get there. So I don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. Like, uh, me being funny isn't anything I have to worry about. I don't have to prove it. I don't have to, I can accept it, be grateful for it. <laughs> Did you bring an American with you? <laughs> it's my sister. <laughs> so with um okay, so before we talk about addiction in depth, um with leaving your family to pursue comedy and then you would have got a new family, which is like your comedy family, having them two lifestyles and balancing the both what was that like? As far as yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I was still going to mass on Sundays. 
morning, Father. <laughs> and then, you know, being so ribald with Daniel Kitson, you know. That, yeah. That's what I ached for, the ribald. That yeah. People who will say anything. It's, it's the joy of it to be silent for the first time in your life. You don't hear it from someone. Be entertained by it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like heaven. Um, but you can't live there. Yeah. Well, I can now. I can't live there, but it's a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> Lady of the night. So how was it going? Do you think you're an extrovert or an introvert? Mm, extrovert, I think. And then, so that's. I love being alone. I love it. Yeah, so that suits your... Um, I guess profession, but then going from that when you yeah to early days when you're going home to like back to being a mum, how was that contrast of? Oh, it was but both were great. Yeah. Um, uh, in the early days, like because I didn't drink at home, um, I would, I didn't like re-entry. That was a weird day. Yeah. Everything was weird. Like you come from this amazing. You're laughing at crap. You're with the people that ma- make sense to you, yeah, the people yeah, that yeah. know, like you know, and your friend Janet. Because there's people out there who are um, still the same types, like that aren't professional comedians. Yeah, you know yeah. that you find them out in the wild, and like I've got a best friend. They're the people I chose. The people that actually, at the end of the day, know what I know, and all of it's yeah. to be laughed at. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Why does anything matter? Yeah, if true. you just be kind, and what does it matter what's after this? Mm. We're only here to, and I think there's a revolution happening right now. And it, I think it was always going to be a bloodless revolution uh, because, I, like, this um, Africa's starvation rate is uh, abject poverty has halved. In the last twenty years, and we don't hear about that, but it's happening. Yeah, like it's already happening, and that, I've been laughing at the whole thing because I just look at Donald Trump and just said, "You just—the dinosaurs. It's all yeah. going to be over soon." Yeah, that's true. Yeah, really soon, because we didn't breed anyone who vote like that. Yeah, I don't know anyone who did. I and I'm like a census because I not just. Most of my peers are younger than me, and I can't keep my nose out of their business. Yeah. Um, but there's never that. Normally, if a 58-year-old walks into a room, it's a shift in energy. But I just get to – it's like I get to go between Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hear everything. Yeah. So I know what everyone thinks. And then throw in so many rehabs. And then also the people that I would just – when I relapsed, because I was a pretty tough alcoholic – like, I scoff now at Alkies. Yeah. Well, because I white-knuckled it like a champion. Yeah, yeah. You soft cocks. <laughs> well, what are some of the – you speak about in your book, obviously, about, say, Rock Bottom Has a Basement, which is a good line also. Um, some of the stories of when you look back now and thinking that was that was Rock Bottom or turning point in your life to go uh, to rehab. Oh, I had a um, – a lot of awful, like, but I always knew after 2019, no, no, it was after the, I was in a coma and that was just weird, like that whole period. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but I didn't know that I was on um, uh, fentanyl. Yeah. I was high for the whole recovery. And they um, sent me home on, uh, on them. And I was now an opioid addict. Mm. So when I didn't, couldn't get them, um, yeah, I lost my mind. I went, and, I went underground. So I lived in a – just disappeared into a, a drug den. But then I'd just piss off into other people's lives. That yeah. I live with. <laughs> oh, my God. There's a guy in Brisbane who I – he took me to the airport four times. <laughs> I came – I found my way back. I get straight. <laughs> 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 well, he had dropped you at the airport and you just go back. It's like a possum. <laughs> ah. Yes. But anyway, so when I was in the that drug den, um, my father-in-law died. And he... Um, and I were really good friends. That I did the opposite of something that was more culturally what my family would do. If you don't like your in-laws, you know, don't. Yeah. And I was like, no, he's their grandfather, you know. And he was great at grandparenting. Yeah. Like, Sets speech. <laughs> <laughs> I want to punch his lights out when I met him because <laughs> this is what he said to me. His wife had died. And um, my mother-in-law, who they said I was very like her, because uh, when I asked Chris about his mother, he said, oh, she used to do silly dances while she was ironing. And I thought, oh, my God, how amazing to yeah. have a mother. Like, anyway, um, yeah, when he said once, when Geraldine was having the twins, he spoke like this in English, Lord. <laughs> When Geraldine was having the twins, I said to Kenahan, who was the obstetrician who delivered me and my husband and two of my kids, Dr. Fuck Knuckles, we used to call him, he was <laughs> so arthritic by the time I had him. He came in and he goes, You're only three centimetres. I'm like, By whose measurements? <laughs> the f- fucking claw. And that was social vanity of my mother's because she still wanted to be in. Uh, it was the doctor's, yeah. uh, his light to be in yeah, his, yeah, yeah. so weird. Anyway, um, yeah, he said, when Jeremy was having the twins, Ken and Han and I decided that she wouldn't be breastfeeding. I could just hear her screaming from the grave, like, I'll rip your throat out. <laughs> you did not decide, you idiot. Anyway, then, and we used to fight a lot, like, Oh, I'd egg him on and he'd, he was pain to me and I was a pain to him for a while. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And we went to pick him up in the airport once and he was walking across the tarmac and my heart went, oh, there he is. And I was just, I just decided, I said, I'm going to love him. And yeah. I did forever. And he used to say to me, um, where everyone else says these stupid things to be strong, be strong, or... Um, be safe, be good, whatever, all nonsense. 
Um, but he used to say to me, he said, oh, it's a terrible thing. And he knew that it was mm. a disease and that it was a terrible thing. Yeah. And he'd say to me, um, uh, he said, I pray, I pray for you every night, it's a terrible thing. So he knew it firsthand. And um, the night he died, he – and the kids loved him. You know, and he died on Christmas night, which was perfect because that's their thing with him. But I always feel like I almost was part of that because I was the first woman in that family and the first mother. Yeah. And the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, you know. So I always felt very proud of that because all, everybody else followed and yeah. and all these cousins have that. People don't know how stupid they are when they leave a grandparent out yeah. because it connects the family. And also Chris, my husband, said it perfectly. He said, well, if you love your grandparent, you know, and you hate your parents, you're not going to go that far away because yeah. you love your grandparents. Yeah. It's just one more... It's healthy because we're supposed to be in a bigger village than we are. Yeah. Just idiots. Yeah. Kevin and, and Karen and Darren are gonna, never going to be enough mm. for Scout and Adam, whatever <laughs> they're calling their kids. So you speak about it in your book. In, oh, anyway, in he death. died at Christmas night and I was in the drug den at 2 o'clock in the morning. I had this, ooh, and it, I saw peace, felt peace. I can't explain it. Yeah. Um, it was just like this is where you it's going to get better. And I'm sure it was him just yeah. saying help's coming. Yeah. And I took it as that. So I never, ever lost. I never despaired again. Yeah. When you, yeah, you spoke about it in your book, but to explain the drug den and how you got to that, like why you ended up there. And well, a girlfriend of mine took me there. Yeah. Uh, she said he was a healer and she was drinking this amazing Ormus water that he was making, Ormus water. And it was water that he, <laughs> I don't know, boiled gum leaves over or something and it's supposed to turn your life around. And it had turned hers around, she said. Yeah. And anyway, I get there and um, he gave me meth that night. Oh, was and a healer a boy? Yes. Huh. Yeah, we hid it in the book. Yeah. Because he's... Okay. Yeah. As soon as the book came out, it came up on my feed. Yeah, yeah. Extortion. Yeah. So it was a, it was a girl. I don't know. No, actually, he was a transgender. Oh, okay. Okay. I so stupidly wrote in the book. She was the tallest woman I'd ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you? What? How did that person claim to be a healer? And what? Else oh, did read, they do? I don't know. He was an ice addict, and he was crazy, and yeah. I couldn't stand him. And yet, this is where the problem is with the story because Sue is the woman who saved my life yeah. and is now my manager. But we agree to disagree forever on that score because she believes that everything he taught her. Because I guess no one's all bad and all good. Yeah. Like he had something going on, but yeah. I never saw any of it. I thought he was a, nothing but a scoundrel. Yeah. Um, because. 
ice addiction is horrific. Like yeah. how that didn't happen. Oh, well, I know how it didn't happen. There was enough of my mind still working that I just went because yeah, I was just so peaceful and enough of my brain just said, if you're feeling this peaceful, this is, you are, this is the end and yeah. you, you, you'll never come back yeah. ever. Because I, I used to call it uh, borrowing from heaven, yeah. drugs. Yeah. You know, and that was well and truly borrowing from heaven. Yeah. Not to have it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds like an ad for, for us. Yes. <laughs> Everyone, you want to borrow Would from you heaven? like to borrow from heaven? <laughs> How much do you want to borrow? So, yeah. So I think, that, that, to me, that's like you nearly killed my children's mother, you know. Mm. You could have. And I would have lost my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and been out the front of the train station. Do you think us is the worst... It's a scourge, yeah, because it um, can make – because basically addicts are one in ten of us. One in ten of us are destined to, as soon as we take anything mind-altering, usually it's alcohol. Um, I'm not sure. For me it wasn't uh, codeine. Yeah. But it's one in ten of us. One in ten of us will forever be uh, – susceptible to a ruinous life, like highly susceptible to just an agonising, agonising life. And of that one in ten, only one in ten of them seek help. And of that one in ten, only one one in ten of them come back. So why on earth would anyone do anything other than applaud Anyone who's come back to live the, tell the tale, and I will say that now. I used to be too sh- too ashamed to say it, but but no, get fucked because people's lives are at stake. I'm not. My life isn't at stake, but it could be if I wasn't where I was. Yeah. Um. Because people will still go. Could you just have this shame? Yeah. yeah. And I'd like you to have that too. And they're people very very close to you. Yeah. That you didn't see or suspect in a, in a million years. Well, how do you feel now, speaking about that, and then every ad you see, every billboard, it's um, advertising alcohol or a gambling site. Do you think that's a, a sad part of society? I don't know, because there's 90% of humans that can drink with impunity. Yeah. And so I think, why, why, why always, where this number never changes and never has since yeah. alcohol started, why are we still going? No, no, it's just her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fucking cunt. <laughs> it's not just me. <laughs> it's not fair. Well, but they've got a lot of evidence. Yeah. Yeah, my sister goes, you bang so-and-so at four o'clock in the morning. Yes, I did. I was drunk. God, get over it. So going from that, um, the here, like in your book, you speak about um, like spirituality. Now you're um, raised Catholic, but as far as adding prayer and meditation into your every day, is that still a theme today? Yeah, I do it all the time. Yeah, um, but it's. I I, I, found, I stumbled across Taoism, yeah, um, 
And then, because my rehab that I went to, which is mine, at, <laughs> that I live in, um, it, I have to watch, yeah, I only watch YouTube. And two, I watch two, I watch one great speech a day, uh, anywhere in history. Because the greatest teachers in the world at the moment are on YouTube. That's yeah. where, that's where this revolution's happening. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then there's this, other, they're all singing from the same hymn book, and it's um, say it's gratitude and understand that our per- well, Taoism was through one of these guys, Wayne Dyer, that I started listening to, who just helps you understand that you know we're as important as we are insignificant, and it's all pretty easy. It's, it's simple. It's the most because imp- I can't stand all the rules. Of everything, yeah. and there's no this is this is spirituality for dummies. Yeah. So these there's uh, what what is it? It's the most important moment of your life is now, yeah. and the most important person in the world right now is the person in front of you, and then you just say thank you at the end of the day, yeah. and and at the beginning of the day, that's it's just. Finding out what your higher power is, yeah. And to me, it's like, oh, yes, easy. Yeah, yeah. And also, I use this. I go, well, whoever Ivan's with, my father-in-law, I'll, I'll wherever he is, I'm there too. Yeah. Like, but I'm not going to start being political because that's what shits me too. Because yeah. I, I almost feel like. I mean, I think the church should stay as a beautiful. Uh, memory, and we should go and maybe sing hymns there. Just but to be part of something that is against is because there's this the guy. He was a Chinese peasant born four hundred years before Christ, and he said that if you so, for instance, once once upon a time. I was pro-life, uh, pro-choice. I gave out anti-abortion leaflets yeah. after mass, and I just wonder how many people I stabbed in the heart. But then, also, on the other side, it's like, it, can you please respect that abortion is really painful? Mm. It's something that happens. I don't know why we're marching about it, or. If it, why it's even in the political? Why do politicians even have that subject in their filthy hands? Yeah. And women have to get over it and make peace because it's never going to not be an actuality. And and also, there's so many people who are in so much pain and guilt and shame anyway. Not about the rules. Some people just are as empathetic to any life ending as a dolphin or a whale. Yeah. or So you've got to respect everybody. I don't like the way each side... I don't like the cool kids telling me what to do yeah, or exactly. think. Um, and Mother Teresa said abortion could be could ruin or end the civilization. I was like, fuck, that's a heavy thing to say. Maybe she was right if we didn't. If we stop politicising it, maybe she yeah, meant something yeah. else. But she's um, 
then they reckon she was a um, sociopath, Mother Teresa, like Gandhi. Yeah. Then I think he's the Earth flat. <laughs> Probably is. Well, on that topic, as far as people... Flat earthers. Yeah. People <laughs> thinking what they're told to think and being a stand-up comedian, especially some in a city like Melbourne, how does that go and does it frustrate you when people are kind of pushing an agenda that they haven't really thought about as far as cancel culture and that type of stuff goes? I think um, the generation under us um, are – it's it's like a bad habit. It's like, no, no, you don't have to fight with us. Yeah. Because <laughs> we already marched. Like there's a point that humans catch up and I don't think generation gaps are going to be as um, – it's chunky. No, yeah. at all, because it used to be the hiding of secrets and information. Yeah. We all have the same information. So what are we arguing about? Yeah. You know, I know I got schooled by my daughter about Bluey, <laughs> like because Bluey's, you know, why can't I learn that Bluey, even though it's blue, it's a cartoon character, it's blue and his name's Bluey, but it's a girl. See, I'm just insensitive. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not. I think my eyes train to see what a man is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. It used to be quite important in wartime. So... That's just like... Uh, I think if that's all we're arguing over, we're very lucky. Yeah, that's true. Because people are so good. And all this is being people trying to be better. So if you're an old comic whining too much about cancel culture, you're probably a hack, yeah. I'd say. What is a... Is because it, that's why I go back to the respect for the stand-up, the institution yeah. of stand-up. We wouldn't have any of that. What's funny matters. And that's where it's not all about us, it's the audience that decide yeah. too. I mean, I go wherever I want because um, I love frightening the audience. <laughs> but I never am maliciously... Racist, or but I think it's funny to scare the audience. Yeah, like say scary words like retarded. <laughs> well, you and then break it down. Speak about um, you wrote a pilot for a TV series in Alice Springs that in did, Darwin, in Darwin, sorry, that didn't get picked up, and then around the same time they, I think they started Dancing with the Stars. So yeah, I they, they just didn't do anything. Yeah, adventurous. So why do you, in the, f- the first part of the question, why do you think a, like, showcasing, like, real Australia has never really kind of been betrayed on... But they're so stupid. They are so stupid. The What the audience wants, doesn't matter anyway, because TV's going to die and yeah. everyone's going to make their own and stream it. But Emily Tahini is one of the best comedic actresses in the country. And... I'm a pretty good comedian. Two siblings that come from the same DNA, they've marinated in the same sense of humour. That's where the greatest sketch comes from. Mm. Great sketch comes from, um, that was what was so great about Monty Python because they were brothers, not physically, but the uni students, and that they would die laughing working on it. And Emily and I could have... That's what I think the networks were stupid. Oh, duh. And then, you know, Australia's still way more like America than 
the UK, unfortunately, who cast real-looking people. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Peter Halley's sitcom, well, why does it have to be a good-looking actor? Yeah. With no comic timing. They wouldn't marry someone that fat anyway. Yeah. No, did you like that show? I didn't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't great. I might get upset. I'm going to have to have a break. Yeah, that's all right. Go. <laughs> You want me on every week, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we've touched on all the serious stuff. <clears throat> so um, you did Dancing with the Stars, right? Yes. But and you did, didn't you do um, Apprentice? The so Apprentice. The Apprentice. Yes. And how about those experiences? Dancing with the Stars was great. Yep. Because I had a beautiful partner, Craig um, Monley, and uh, who was it? Another female comedian rang me. Uh, She's a lawyer now in Adelaide. Corinne Grant, yes. And she rang and said, don't do it, don't do it. Um, because she had a terrible partner. He said, oh, you're too fat, I can't pee. <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting dancing with the stars because the, the gay partners, say the gay professional dancers, um, can sometimes want to, they get a bit, because Craig said to me, he's a he's, he's he and his wife or girlfriend are the top three Latin dancers in the world. Like they go over to Blackpool, and yeah. he's incredible. But he said to me, the job of a male dancer is to make the female look beautiful. And he said, if no one notices me, then I've done my job. But I felt like an unmade bed <laughs> in Craig's arms. He was twenty eight and ripped, <laughs> and. S- and I was a wobbly thing back then. and But I loved it and I had a fantasy in my head that we were going out. <laughs> and because I'm a female and got a brain, I just kept that fantasy in my head and I knew it was a fantasy and he'd hold my hand because he had to. Like, he holds your hand from makeup and it's like you're going out. And yeah. It's really extremely <laughs> hot. <laughs> I'd forgotten what... You, Young muscle fella. <laughs> anyway, um, but what the idiotic male celebrities do is mistake that for love, yeah, uh, because they're morons. And uh, like there was a, a country and western singer, Adam Fucktard, and <laughs> he was in his forties, and he married his. And she's a starlet, she's 18, and you never guess what, it didn't last. (laughs) (laughs) And there was a, you know, there's newsreaders and and they just have an affair because it's like, because to a dancer, because it's real, but to dancers, tits are elbows, like it's Mm. nothing, it's not, but you actually are physically getting like groin to groin. So that's common in um, Dancing with the Stars that the men yep. root the girls. Yes. Male celebrities always have sex yeah. with the girls. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, if I was in that position, I feel like I would be exactly the same. So. Oh, it's like, uh, 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 oh, he was so ugly too, this news right now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going, I'm just so emotional at the moment. <laughs> About the Viennese Wolves. I'm like, I don't think it's got anything to do with the Viennese Wolves. But the funniest thing I saw on Dancing with the Stars, and I was the only one who thought it was funny and I lost my mind laughing. There was a 
blind marathon runner, okay, and he's on to, as a contestant because they need that backstory, don't they? You know, the journey that he's been on. You know, blind people can't see. And anyway, he was really sad because he'd never been able to. They was always got to have a backstory. So his backstory was um, he ne- was never able to dance with his wife on their wedding day. But now they could. So they were organising a surprise for him, I think. But, well, that's stupid. So he won't be learning the steps. <laughs> and he's blind. Fucking idiots. It's like, oh, let's do it in front of an orchestra pit. And um, I, I mentioned blind people can't see, yeah? So, yeah. yeah, so she's learned the whole routine with somebody else and then they do the backstory of the wedding and the, they didn't dance because he's blind. And anyway, so the next thing, he's in the middle of the dance floor and she's flung at him and... Why didn't you dance at your wedding, you idiot? Because, mm. you know, you're not paralysed. You just feel the music and don't do too many scary moves. <laughs> you know, you get through it. <laughs> but instead they put him on national or, uh, television in front of millions of people yeah. to dance for the first time with his wife. <laughs> and lo and behold, she lost her footing. <laughs> and they both fell into the orchestra pit. <laughs> And I cried like a baby laughing in the green room. And some, oh, I don't know if she's from Home and Away or, I don't know, but she screamed at me. This wicked woman laughing at the poor blind man in the orchestra. Well, what about more recently you did... Um... And, and the other one was um, Celebrity Apprentice. Yep. So... I had an agent who's a dickhead and he said, uh, it's 20 grand. Because I kept saying, no, no, I'm not doing that. I don't have yeah. brains and yeah. I don't like asking for money. I'm codependent, so that's not going to work. And I don't have any black book of important people. But he said, no, no, it's 20 grand. I went, oh, right then. And I relapsed. I was drinking vodka. I remember Reese Nicholson and his partner came to help me write jokes and all of a sudden I was under the table. <laughs> Because I'd had these vodka bottles hidden under the mattress. I kept nicking down to powder my nose. I kept going back. So it was a disaster. I had the worst hangover ever. Um, and I had to wash dogs in a park with Paddy Newton. <laughs> and I nearly lost my mind. It was, oh, God, it's like hell. And the Hoff... Were wash- they were washing dogs in their park as well. And the Hoff's the most famous person in the world... And so obviously people going to the Hoff, who gives a shit about Fiona Rockman and Paddy Newton. And so the, the, all the cunts bought their big hard dogs that needed washing to us. So we were just washing asses and getting shit off. <laughs> like shags off dogs' asses. And so I lost it and I went over to the Hoff's side and I said, I want to speak to the Hoff. And... He came out and it was the funniest thing because that's when I was really bloated and um, I looked awful for about 10 years. And I don't think he'd ever seen anything that not hot talk to him. (laughs) (laughs) He was just completely confused. He was like, 
age he didn't understand what that was. <laughs> and he just put his hand out. Like, I wasn't repugnant. I had teeth. But I was just like, <laughs> I didn't care what I looked like. Wobbly and drunk. Awful. And and 10 kilos fatter. And he just went, look, I'm, I'm sure you're a lovely woman. And as if I was some assistant or something, trying to make eye contact with him. And I didn't have tits worth looking at or a face. Anyway... <laughs> So I said, no, I'm on the competition. And Dex in the cameras of words, oh, there's a bit of heat happening here. So, And I said, do you like fighting girls with one hand behind their back? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, it's not fair. You're the most famous. Have you ever Googled yourself? And I said, you're the most famous person in the world. And I think you should give us, I don't know, how much are you going to make? You should give us 40% of what you make. Yeah. <laughs> And he said no, and the producers said no, and it got me out of cleaning dogs for a while. Yeah, it was horrible. And then uh, six weeks later, the money still hasn't come through, and I go to my agent and I said, where's that money from um, Celebrity Apprentice? Oh, yeah, I don't know what happened. It was only, yeah, it was only eight. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like... um, And, but because I was alcoholic, I always uh, – I didn't ever speak, uh, yeah, yeah, ever. Yeah. So I was easy pickings. How long were you with that manager for? Oh, I just went through managers like – like they'd try and I'd try and then I'd just get drunk and something terrible would happen. Yeah. It's really, it's really expensive. Yeah. Like I'd fly – I flew in blackout to Broome – and I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> well, then I get on stage and another Judy Garland, you know. Yeah. She gets taken off stage. <laughs> Akmal used to go, you seem so, you were so normal five minutes ago. <laughs> and we're just about to start filming Good News Week. They think there's an ambulance and I'm getting loaded <laughs> It was my preferred mode of transport back then. (laughs) (laughs) I went and watched Judy, the Garland movie. She's 48. (laughs) Nope, Judy. Get up. I I got up heaps of times. No, just that it killed her at 48. I mean, I would have, yeah, it was very close. Tommy um, from Little Dum Dum, he tells this story about where I fell down at a club gig in the city and they had to call an ambulance. <laughs> the ambulance was coming at the audience <laughs> and it was all a bit awkward and I thought, oh, God, Tommy needs some help. <laughs> <In a journey. laughs> um, yeah, say, uh, give it up for Charlie Sheen. And uh, anyway, he said, give it up for Charlie Sheen. I was being taken out on <laughs> And he, he, at least he got him off the stage. It was a nice closer for him. And he, <laughs> that was pretty good that I was still, yeah, trying to sort the comedy out. I have no idea what the question was. Yeah, no. <laughs> don't think there was one. Well, when you speak about that um, and you spoke about your alcohol addiction or just addiction, do you think you would have had the career that you've had if you were sober your whole life? No. No, it was a bad solution long before it was a 
Like I knew I wanted to come to the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Well, how am I going to get there? And I always say to my kids, take away the question mark. You know, it's, it's this, I want to be a singer or I want to be a musician or whenever it's a big thing. Well, yes, of course you can be. Mm. Take away the question mark and then go work. Or firstly, be able to sing or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't have love deaf ears. You know, one of my kids wanted to be a singer. And Um, But you take away the question mark So my daughter's a filmmaker I'm like, you are a filmmaker So she's been to university And all she ever wanted to do was make films Um, So I apply the same thing to myself But when I wanted to come to the uh, first Melbourne Comedy Festival Well, I actually rung up and I couldn't believe it. Susan Proven spoke to me on the phone. and But I had a show. I guess that's what I didn't realise. Why are they talking to me? And anyway, and it was really perfect what I was offered. It was a 20-seater or something and it was out in North Fitzroy. But it was such a tiny room. It's enough to get an audience and build. And it was incredible because we had an audience. And that's what I was talking about before with stand-up. It doesn't matter how big that, but you've got to earn your audience. You don't demand an audience, you know. You've got to – and that's why stand-up, as I said before, you know, it's got to be so protected that, because that's where it happens. Anyway, I rang up the Who Weekly because it just – that's People magazine here and they'd only just started Who Weekly. And I read three stories – and the one I liked the best, so I picked the journalist. Then I rang her. I said, look, I've got a story for you, but and I just blew smoke up her ass. I said, I just have to know it's you that's going to write it. I won't let anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I bought a bottle of champagne and drank it before I did that. Yeah. And, and it worked. And <clears throat> yeah, and then I said, oh, it's just the incongruity of a mother of five from Alice Springs, who's never done stand-up. Uh, yeah, it's her first festival. So I was my own publicist, but I knew how to think outside the square. And it was um, always separate yourself from the pack. And so I found that where I went, Edinburgh, or that went to the top of the pile, The playing up the difference. Yeah. yeah, it goes to the top of the pile. And then fortunately I turned into a raving alcoholic. And that, yeah. Again, interesting, and um, but now I'm like, oh great! I can't wait to get older because age will separate me from the pack. Yeah, yeah. So or you- I, or I get morbidly obese, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like, like who's afraid of Wilbur uh, Gilbert Grape? Kind of. Yeah. Get a forklift to get me out of the house onto the stage. So do you think there's I'll get a Jenny Craig deal. merit in the um, the idea of a tortured artist? Uh, it just seems to be the way it, the mop flops. Do you think it needs to be, if you're not tortured, you can't be a successful artist? Uh, it's just not that common, but it happens for sure. Mm. I don't think there's anything wrong with Tom Gleeson. Yeah. Worrying. <laughs> 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 no, he's such a great comic and he's so normal. Yeah, but he's very mathematical. So, because I used to get so nervous, always, um, and Tom just said to me one night, he said, "You you win mostly ninety seven out of a hundred. <laughs> Why don't you just 
count on the odds. Yeah. But it actually had nothing to do with nerves. I manifested the nerves uh, to get the alcohol. Yeah, the nerves yeah, were real. Yeah, yeah. Very powerful disease, cunning, baffling. Mm. It's like wrestling jelly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when you see other comics now up and coming that kind of look like they're heading for the same path that you've already been down... How do you do? You feel a responsibility to aid them, or do you just think they have to learn those lessons themselves? It's a good question because yes. if I'm putting my money where my mouth is and saying take away the stigma and shame, absolutely, yeah. I should have the guts to say probably to one person I know, yeah, that that looks awful, looks an awful lot like dependence. Yeah. Or just go ahead and it usually ends up with shit where it shouldn't be. Yeah. How come? Yeah. <laughs> so but then during a festival, I mean, it's, they just call it festival ass. <laughs> <laughs> One of the three Canadians. Yeah, I'm off the boo. Yeah, I'm off the boo. So I have a solid bow it's really hard when you're, when you're starting and you're living with others. I used to go to the BP. It's really, I just thought I'd made it when I got uh, my own hotel with my own bathroom. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, it's, it's getting more fun and glorious in the memories of it now yeah. than it ever used to be. Because mm. they were great days indeed. Okay, what is the next question? Um, so say would you be, yeah, be a success without alcohol, but what's your definition of success? Uh, to work and be happy, you know, to yeah. earn enough money to live comfortably in a bed. <laughs> Not yeah. much, though. Like I, I always thought I, I, I still, I, like I knew things from a very young age. Knew like I know that's a chair. Yeah. Um, I knew that my children had a huge storm ahead of them and something very, very horrible was coming when they were yet little um, and I had no idea it was me. <laughs> but I knew yeah. there's something. That I thought I didn't know. I didn't want to look too closely because I think I can if I look too closely. Um. So I've got this weird, and I always knew. Uh, I remember this anger in me, and out the back in the paddock in this landscape that I detested. I just detested. It was like there's no happy ending anywhere in this world. Like no one will let there be a happy ending. That's what I hated about the landscape, yeah. and I was furious at the at what it even looked like. It's like be greener, be better. You, Stupid place, <laughs> you stupid family, these stupid people. I just like my head would nearly explode, and I was in the back paddock, and I um, just I said, "Oh, everybody will know my name." Yeah, and that scared the fuck out of me, and I felt so sick about thinking that. I felt very guilty. Like, what a shocking thing to think, mm. but I knew it, and. And I always knew I'd never have to worry about money. And I'm like, 
Well, Jesus, I thought he'd come over again. <laughs> Something's going to happen between now. But then maybe it will because I was working on 20%. And yeah. Now I'm up to 100%. Like my site called it a seismic shift. And I do want to have a crack at, I don't know, I think there's a gap in the market, Joan's dead. I just thought I'd move up one. <laughs> no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and Roseanne's out and there, there always seems to be – and I feel like I have the wisdom to say stuff now. Yeah. Well, what, how do you – taking that next step, where would that be? Would it be just creating your own content? And No, I, I'd do it much easier. I would uh, get a theatre off-Broadway and not do it for profit, but oh, – yeah, I hate to lose money, but there's enough of networking – because I toured with Tom Popper, um, yeah. and he was he's Seinfeld's best friend, you know. So there'd be a good network. And Amy Schumer, I was in the last last comic standing with. Yep. And Rebel Wilson, I directed. Mm. Yeah, she said, "What will I pay you?" I'm going to whisper. <laughs> if Rebel listens to fucking podcasts or not, but number one fan. She's no. She said, "What would I pay you?" And I said, "You won't pay me anything, Rebel. You can be famous one day. Buy me a car. A Twitter follow would be nice." You <laughs> she holds her stomach in. Oh, in off. your <laughs> in your book, when you um, won I'm a Celebrity, and you um, you spoke about how you thought a lot of opportunities would come your way, and it's kind of the first time you've seen sexism in the industry. Because there was other alcoholics, but just because they were males. Yeah, female alcoholics, they weren't touched. So when you talk about taking that next step in your career, is, do you still feel that now? And I don't uh, I don't think it's, it would happen in another country if they yeah. only ever knew you was recovered, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I quite understand why the Australian television industry did that. I mean, it's business. Yeah. Then again, pathetic. Yeah. Like in a way, I get it more from a touring aspect. That's what's expensive. But surely, if I turn up drunk, you just send me home. <laughs> and that was the producer on Spicks and Specs. He was beautiful because I often did turn up drunk, and yeah. he'd say the, the couple of occasions where he would have to call it and get someone else. Um, he was so uh, hum- his humanity was wonderful. And I always wanted to thank him for it. Um, but I never knew who he was. It looks like Kevin White. And anyway. Um, yeah, but I, I never forgot him for that. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing. It's not the industry. Like the producers and the uh, production company, they're all good people. Like Ted Robinson used to be so kind to me. I remember waking up and I'd done it again and I stuck myself in a really, I'd, I'd put myself anywhere. Like I'd go from try that, try that. I was in the front, I was sitting in the front of the class for 15 years, you know, paying attention. I haven't been in a pub saying, fuck off, I don't have a problem. That's what shits me. Yeah, yeah. Because there's so many alcoholics, you never have to think about it. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I do have to because I'd hate to be one, um, an active one. But... um uh, I can't remember where I was going. About um, male oh, alcoholics yeah. and yeah. female alcoholics. Uh, that's just this stigma. I mean, my own grandmother um, 
my grandfather was a chronic alcoholic um, and her son was an alcoholic, my godfather, and I think of him always now because he was walking behind that. It's like this. It's walking behind. Always this is in front of you. The, you can't see clearly. And I can see the drunkenness through his eyes. I could always see it. And I had the same eyes when I was drunk. And it's kind of a family thing that we've just got these glazed eyes. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, no one's home. And um, it's a horrible, horrible thing to live inside. It's awful. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know. With the networks, I, I still think they're gutless with the content in Australia. They're into pleasing all and offending none. And, like, I thought I got the bloody – because I've never been employed by networks. I've never had, um, you know, holiday pay or anything like that. Mm. So then when I found out Denise Drysdale, ding dong, like when she was leaving, I got out of a taxi in front of Spain one night and the taxi driver said, have a good one, ding dong. Anyway, she said, oh, I'm leaving. The only time I went to the uh, uh, Logies and hope last and hope never to go again. But she said, oh, I've put you, I'm leaving, you're going to get my job. And Sarah Harris said the same thing. And anyway, it never happened. And I wasn't that excited about it. But then I thought, oh, yeah, you get holidays. And, but how gross, you know, having to fill in that dead air. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, <laughs> yuck. But I was... Needing it at that time, I would have said yes and been grateful for it. But and you never get a call to say sorry about that. You know that's the that the discourtesy of it. Yeah, like I wrote yeah. that sitcom for eight years. So I only, I became a stand up to get that script notice, and and all systems go. And we filmed it. and They spent half a million on it. And William McGuinness was in it. He was brilliant. And they didn't even phone me yeah. and say sorry. Or yeah. it's not. So it's horrible. You just like a balloon, just deflate, deflate. Um, but uh, yeah, then I look on um, that show one morning, and there's Carrie Ann Kennelly. Yes. So I don't think I'm going to get a job till Carrie Ann. Well, while Carrie Ann keeps breathing in and out, <laughs> but she's so boring, Carrie Ann, and. When she made her speech at the Logie, said, oh, God, I wasn't there. I would buy – I'd love to be there just for that. Because she can't read a room. And they gave her uh, – she'd read a room as well as Helen Keller, I reckon. And <laughs> her, speech, her speech was so boring and long-winded. But she thought they were all just going, yay, carry on. She can't hear yeah. her audience giving her nothing because they're not her audience. just wanted to hurry up and be over and just went on and on and on interminably long time and then poor john she goes but john we've got a lot of life to live yet haven't we uh john recently fell over backwards in a flower pot and he'd broken his neck and he's a quadriplegic he only moved one finger the camera's panned to poor old john we've got a lot of life a lot of life to lead yet one finger (laughs) jesus what's in it for john <laughs> and he got really sick. Like, Why don't you stay home and look after your paralyzed husband? Yeah, stupid bitch. <laughs> What's um, advice to 
young artists these days. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, do you feel like when you meet um, any aspiring, I guess, performer, you have an eye of if they're going to make it or not? Yeah, always. And I you, knew Ronnie Cheng, I knew Ronnie Chang was going to make it and I was standing out the front of, oh, I don't know what, it was a, yeah, one of Carl's rooms, I think, and saying to my student, well, why isn't anyone, I was saying to my manager, sign him, sign him, sign it. And that's why I always work clubs because a, a dream of mine is to have my own management company, I think. I've always wanted, and I've got kids who, uh, one's a filmmaker and one's, a musical score writer and one's an actor and I want my own, like, yeah, yeah. I think the more the merrier. Yeah. yeah. Our family's always been mirror and mirror on the wall. There's been really very talented women everywhere and everyone freaks out when the next one comes up because they're younger than them. I want to stop freaking out and start playing together. Like, I want to make this musical called We Only Stole Some Bread. To go with my Wackity McClackity song, which was the first, which is what won us that award. And it was everything about being Irish that was wonderful. And I want the Irish always say, you know, we're convicts, you know, but yeah, we only stole some bread. A lot of bread going missing, wasn't there? <laughs> Ireland. <laughs> they didn't just steal bread. <laughs> this shit went down. So we wrote, I wrote the most boring folk song you could ever, ever hear. But it was actually a pretty good folk song. And my sister used to make her top lip disappear. And I'd say, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm Colleen. I played Colleen. And Colleen was Fiona Lockton's cousin from Ireland. And she didn't have any, so she got on C3. And she was deadly boring. And so I had to play her and be deliberately unfunny. And you've got to hold it, hold it, hold it till it's so excruciating. And then the laughter comes, and that's joy. Yeah. So she was telling the worst jokes. Like she was the antithesis of what we think the Irish are. So, so I'll do. I'll try and remember a bit of it. She goes, "So I'm clean, and you don't like. I didn't come from a big family or anything. You know, they just had me and my daughter. More mum and dad and me. I'm so funny. You know, like just that. He should be the queen, really." Be the queen, professional queen. She was just fucking retarded. And, <laughs> and then we'd have people all for dinner. And don't see, they'd leave. You'd say to them, Oh, they say, Oh, thanks for having us, thanks for having us. And me die, you won't believe it. It's so funny. <laughs> he used to say, Just leave your money over a fridge and eat that. As if it were a restaurant or something. She cracks up and she's awful and then it gets worse and worse until... The, except I did die. I did her and it died in Waruka, where I came from. And it was the worst time of my life because I'd never hit my brother, my farmer. I'd never been to see my shows. He's just standing at the end of the bar watching. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But so then she'd bring on. I say, "A day to you bring on Kathleen McCracken." Now she was uh, Kathleen McCracken was Miss County whatever, nineteen ninety nine. She got no top lip, 
But he said, well, if you had a top lip, you'd have everything. And so Emily could make her top lip disappear. And so she came out, and she was like a freaky kind of uh, salvos kind of person. And weird eyes. She was fucked up. And then we had the Wackity McClackity, who was the guy that played. Yeah. And the song was, I was trying to remember the song, it was, well, it was McClackity's, uh, Wackity McClackity's song. Um, but then we joined in and it turned into, um, uh, what is it, when it whips up into like chaos. It was crazy at the end, which was so much fun. Because I was doing Irish dancing and Emily was going, and she went nuts. Um, turned out she was weird. <laughs> Stop fucking that. The humping way, the McLeary, losing her mind. But the song was, well, I've been singing Irish songs since I was just a lad. I learnt most of the words of me drunk perverted dad. The Irish song to me, it is the flame and I'm the moth. But I'm stuck on the chorus and I can't get fucking off. Hey, yippity, 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 yippity. And we join in, the girls. Yippity, yippity, I... Tura lura 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 twinkle in me high Icely 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 oh And a whack for a whack for a whack for the daddy oh And then it just got darker and darker and uh, like I hope the IRA blow the pommies up sky high The, s- <laughs> the stupid bastards still don't know that we shall princess die They chained us up and shipped us out we only stole some bread if that, but that's if you believe something a dirty convict said. <laughs> and then it ended in this crazy chaos and um, that was the end of the show and you leave them laughing like that and you win an award. Mm. Oh, my God, my heart stopped. Uh, what time is it? 9.15. I've got to be on stage. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>